So it's great to be with you all this morning um, and to be able to continue our series um, in the book of Colossians. So this is Paul's letter to the church in Colossae and we've looked at chapter one, we've looked at chapter two, so today we're going to be looking at chapter three. And if you're new to the Christian faith or you're kind of just exploring, this is a letter um, which was written after Jesus' death and his resurrection. And it was written to one of the early churches um, in an area which is now in modern day Turkey. So as Adam and Rachel said, my name's Jo um, and I'm part of the team here at Life Vineyard. Um, and together with my husband, Mike, we lead the South Tyneside um, life group, which, as Rach said, very excitingly, um, will soon become the latest site um, in September of Life Vineyard as we have Life Vineyard South Shield. So we're really, really excited. As you can tell, these guys are really excited as well. Um, and we do just thank you for all of your prayers and, um, yeah, just for us as we prepare and as we kind of think about and seek God for all that he's got for us um, in South Shields. So back to this morning and um, this, this letter to the church in Colossae. Colossae. Let me just recap where we are in this letter. So John ended his talk last week by calling us to be captivated by Christ, not to be captive to the power of sin. And he told us that the lost need to see us living in victory and displaying the beauty of Jesus. Both John and Tom the week before that looked therefore at why this is important. We looked at, in chapter one, at who Christ is, the magnificent, the victorious, the image of the invisible God, the creator, the head of the church. And in chapter two, we looked at the importance of making Jesus central in our lives and how spiritual fullness and therefore um, life um, in all its fullness is found in Christ alone, not in rules or tradition, not in background or in rituals, which Paul tells us um, these things lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So today, we're going to start to look at the how. How can we restrain that sensual indulgence and start to live lives that reflect the image of our creator? of how we can start to live lives which enable us to find all that hidden treasure of wisdom and knowledge that are found in Christ alone. So let's start by reading today's passage. And we'll be focusing on, as I say, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And the words should come up. There we go, on the screen behind me. Since then, you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things um, as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, 
since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you that it is um, living and active. Lord, I thank you that your word and this letter that was written to the church in Colossae is as relevant to us today as it was then. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit that as I speak now, you will just um, bring revelation to us, Lord, that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your message this morning. Holy Spirit, we give this morning over to you. Have your way amongst us, I pray. Amen. So the first thing I want to say this morning is that verses 1 to 4 are central um, to the point, or the whole point, really, of Paul's letter here um, to the church um, in Colossae. It's the link between the theological argument that John and Tom looked at um, of who Christ is and the importance and the sufficiency of the gospel to how we apply these truths and how we live them out in our lives today. So Paul says the key to this is to set our hearts, um, sorry for my my little um, clip art there, but um, the key to this is to set our hearts and minds on the victorious Christ and on our victory in him, not on the momentary, temporary things of earth. And this is a daily choice, to look to Jesus and to take every uh, every thought captive um, and make it obedient to Christ to lay down our preferences, and to choose to focus and prioritize God's way. It is important that we learn to operate from an eternal and not an earthly perspective. And I had the privilege of teaching um, the 6 to 11s last Sunday, and we were looking at the parable of the hidden treasure. And this is where Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's hidden in a field. When the man found it, he hid it again, and he, in his joy, he went and sold everything that he has um, so that he could go and buy this field. Now, one of the activities that we did with the children um, was an auction, and they were in teams, and they all had some pretend money, and they had to bid for various things, and um, it made them think about the value and the importance of these different things. Now, incredibly, and I say incredibly, but really, um, this is all credit to the parents and grandparents and um, 
uh, yeah, and the work of the Holy Spirit. But incredibly, um, not one of the teams bid for, so they could bid for an Xbox, nobody bid for the Xbox. They could bid to be beautiful, nobody bid to be beautiful. Um, no, the children bid for things like going to church, for God, for love, for water. Our children know what's important. Um, and I think we just need to learn from them and ensure that our head knowledge of the things that are important works its way down to our hearts as well. It's by setting our minds on Christ and on the treasure of the kingdom, that treasure that that man sold everything he had to get, that's where we're going to find peace and freedom, contentment, joy, satisfaction and fulfillment. It's important to note that there is nothing we can do in our service or conduct which is going to help us earn salvation. The point of this letter is that you are saved. If you've accepted Jesus into your life, you are saved. And so this is then talking about what difference that makes in terms of how we live our lives. It's not talking about how we change the way we live so that we are saved. Do you see the difference in that? So... Helpfully, Paul offers us a bit of a strategy as to how we can live our lives more like Christ. So John asked us last week, is Jesus preeminent in our lives? Is he central to our lives? And today I want to ask you, how are you living lives which reflect the image of God and are worthy of the calling that you have received? To be children of God, citizens of heaven, ambassadors for Christ. And if, like me, you're not doing this as much as you'd like, um, this isn't about kind of uh, making us feel guilty or condemned or anything like that. This is just about helping us to see that, um, yeah, the lives and the joy we get when we live our lives, um, yeah, looking to Jesus and setting our hearts on him. So Paul tells us um, that as a result of this wonderful transaction that happened at the cross um, as he set out in chapter 2, We need to put to death the things which belong to our earthly nature, the things which lead us away from God, sexual immorality, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, malice, slander, and filthy language. Now, the words that he chooses here, put to death and rid yourselves, they're active statements It's not about wishful thinking. It's not something that God's going to do in us. It's not just hoping things will change over time. No, Paul tells us here that we need to be intentional and serious about this. He tells us that we've got a role to play. And it will involve us keeping watch over our actions, our hearts, and our minds. It will involve us praying. And at times, asking others to pray for us where there are particular areas that we find difficult to put down. And it's going to involve a level of self-discipline in partnership, of course, with the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of us can say, and myself included, um, that we never have any of these emotions, that we never act in a way which would fall into this list? And so this morning as I'm speaking, have an ear open to the Holy Spirit. Is there anything he's saying or asking you to take off, to put to death this morning? Maybe he's already revealing something to you right now. But if not, just ask him, invite him to speak to you. And I'm sure in his gentleness and his love, he will. So, how do we live out this new self and reflect the image of God? 
Paul gives us six pointers to do this. So firstly, he tells us that we need to know our identity. He reminds us of what's already happened, the truth of who we are. Our old self has been taken off and the new self has been put on. So he explains that our identity is in Christ. Our new self reflects the image of our creator, Jesus. We are victorious, raised with Christ. Our old um, self and our old life is now hidden in Christ. We are God's chosen people. We are holy. When God the Father looks at us, he sees the glory, purity, and righteousness of Jesus in us. And we, as Rach said, um, just as she was praying for us, you know, we are dearly loved. You are dearly loved by the Father. Our new identity has happened. It is who we are, but we need to take a hold of it, and we need to live out of it. Now, imagine a footballer transfers from one team to another. He puts on his new kit. He looks smart and ready for the game against his old club. But what if on the pitch, he actually lines up with his old side? It wouldn't really work, would it? He's been bought with a price to play for the new club. He's put the new club's kit on, and he'd be silly not to have changed his mindset and his actions as a result. And the same is true for us. If we don't live lives according to that new identity we've been given, that Jesus bought at a price for us, that same is true. So, at the end of each of these six points, I'm going to give some practical thoughts of things that you could do. So in terms of identity, why not write down the truth of your identity somewhere? Somewhere you'll see it and you can meditate on it every day. It could be, for example, a screensaver on your phone or maybe on the front of your journal or your Bible. Whatever works for you, it's important to remind ourselves daily of the truth of who we are before we go out into the world and we hear all the other voices that are out there telling us otherwise. So firstly, we need to remind ourselves of our identity in Christ. Secondly, we need to imitate him. And we do this by intentionally, actively putting on the characteristics of Christ so that we start to imitate him and reflect him rather than reflect the culture and society that we're in. Paul tells us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. So how do we do that? Well, again, I think a good place to start is to meditate on each of those characteristics. Chew over the verse, pray about it, and ask God to show you which parts of this are important for you right now in your life. And look at Jesus as well. Look at, read the Bible, see um, how Jesus displayed um, these characteristics in his life on earth. And remind ourselves daily that we're putting them on. It starts with this mindset and it moves down to our hearts. You could reflect back on the day and think about the occasions maybe where you didn't display these characteristics and ask God um, to show you maybe why or what you could have done differently so that you can learn for next time. 
For a number of years, I had that first 12 written down on a piece of paper and I stuck it next to my mirror in the morning. So every um, morning, when I, as I got dressed for work, I would remind myself about also clothing myself in these characteristics. I'm not saying I got it right all the time, but it's just a helpful reminder um, as, as we go about our lives. So, we need to remember our identity, we need to imitate Christ, and thirdly, we need to bind all of these things together in love. We need to make sure that we put on the, these characteristics, not out of a sense of duty, not because we ought to, not because we're trying to earn favor, but out of love. Love for others and love for God. God loved us first. He demonstrated those characteristics to us when we deserved it least. And so out of that overflow of the love that he's given us, we too should love others. We should want to reflect his love for us and have a desire um, so that others can receive that grace freely that we have received too. Our kindness shouldn't be conditional on receiving kindness back. It shouldn't be dependent upon um, others showing humility towards us. Our compassion shouldn't be restricted to those who have um, been nice to us or, um, yeah, shown us grace. So why not spend some time journaling this week, thinking about the ways and the times that Jesus has shown his compassion and his kindness, his humility, his gentleness, his patience, his forgiveness towards us, and thank him for it. And ask him in turn to show those same, to help you show those same characteristics to others as well. And that leads nicely into my fourth point, which is that we should cultivate a heart attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving. Again, the active responsibility here on ours is important. We need to do something, not just God. Paul says that we are um, called to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We have to let that happen. And we need to be thankful. And I actually think that by being thankful and cultivating this kind of heart attitude of gratitude, we will start to live lives more and more in that place of peace. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Something happens when we rejoice in the Lord. So in order to let that peace of Christ rule in your heart, why not end each day with just a short prayer of thankfulness? Or maybe you can start a little thankfulness page in your journal. One thing that Mike and I did a few years back was um, we had this uh, paper, it's called magic paper. Um, it's not really magic, but you tear it off and you stick it on the wall, it sticks with static. And it's like white, whiteboard um, paper, so you can write on it, but without writing on the walls, which is really good. Um, anyway, so we had one of these bits of paper, we put it on the wall, and every day we started to write one thing that we were thankful to God for for that day. And over time, this piece of paper filled up. And it was amazing because it reminded us of all the things God had done, the things he'd said, um, the ways he'd acted, of just even who he is. 
And it built up our faith over time. That It helped us and to give us like a real deep sense of his peace, of assurance, and that we could trust him. So that's just a small thing that you could think about. How, how do you cultivate that heart of thankfulness? So we've got identity, we've got imitation, we've got love, we've got thankfulness. And fifthly, we're called to meditate on the word of God. Let its truth sink deep into our hearts. Paul uses the word dwell. Imagine letting the message of Christ, the good news of the gospel, the word of God live in our hearts to take root there, to set up home there, to linger there. Paul talks about this in the context of community teaching. And it's important to stay connected and be a part of a local church. And for us, that's Life Vineyard. Being a part of our time together on a Sunday and part of a midweek smaller group, it's so important to help us build up that healthy, to build us up in a healthy way and to provide spaces where we allow that word of God to really penetrate our hearts to the core and to do a work in our hearts as well as in our minds. However, I also think it's important that as we meditate on God's word that we do that in our own, place, our own space as well, in our alone time with God. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law, that's the word of God, day and night. The person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. And Psalm 119 says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have not departed from your laws, for you, have taught, you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. That idea of the word of God being sweeter than honey, of being that sweet taste in our mouths. Do you get the picture of how important it is to be rooted and to meditate um, on God's word? So again, if, you don't have time, if you're not doing this, um, I'd really encourage you just to take time on a daily basis um, to spend time in God's Word. It can be 10 minutes to start with. This isn't about um, setting some kind of unrealistic goal. This is about finding time and rhythm that works for you um, and is realistic and doable. There are even apps now where you know, you can get the, the Bible read to you. Um, I tried to do, well, I did the um, HTB's Bible in a year, um, although it was more like 18 months, maybe 24 months, but um, I did it a few years ago. Um, and, you know, I didn't have time to listen, to read, sorry, all of the scripture in the morning. There's kind of chunk from the New Testament, chunk from the Old Testament, um, and a psalm, and I didn't have time to read it all, but what I did have time to do is to listen to it. So as I was getting ready in the morning, um, I could put it on and I could listen and I could um, engage with, with the word of God that way at the moment Mike and I we're, we're just over breakfast we're just opening up the psalms and we're reading through some of the psalms as well and then praying for our day ahead it's just 15 minutes but it's so important and the truths that we read in the morning sink subconsciously and consciously sink into our hearts um, and we can meditate on them throughout the day and it will impact our actions it will impact the behaviors and the things that we say throughout the day so we've got identity, imitation, love, thankfulness, 
meditating on God's word, and finally, we need to know our authority. Paul says that whatever we do in word or deed, we should do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what does this mean in the name of the Lord Jesus? It means that in all we do, we should act out of the authority and the position that we've been given by Jesus. In Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples and to all of us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you until the very end of the age. Jesus imparted his authority to us. When we've been given that authority, we need to honor that position and ensure that our lives reflect that in all aspects. Now, this might be a silly example, but hopefully it gets the point across. In my previous job, I worked for a Christian um, organization. And whilst my Facebook page was obviously my own account, um, but I had to be careful not to bring the organization into disrepute. I may have had church leaders or supporters follow me. And I needed to make sure that, I don't know, my anger and my frustration or my evening socializing didn't come across in a way um, that was contrary to the name of the charity. And this isn't about hiding stuff. This isn't about something that I'm doing but not displaying. This is about being aware that whatever I was doing, whatever I said, I was representing the organization. I didn't know who I was speaking to. They could be a supporter. They could have been a church leader. They could have been uh, linked somehow, know somebody that worked for the organization. So I had to be aware of that and live my life according to that. Um, And the same is true for us with Jesus. Because he's given us that authority to be his representative here in the Northeast, in Newcastle, in South Shields, in um, Gateshead, wherever you might be. Um, He's given us that authority. We need to be his representative. And so Paul is reminding us of where we started with our identity, that we are ambassadors for Jesus here on earth. We need to remember that and ensure that our lives, as I say, reflect that, not out of a fear of being told off or losing out, but out of a desire to honor this Jesus who's given all he's given his life for us, um, all that he's done, all that he's given to us, we want that love, we want to reflect it back to others, we want to honor him. And again, one way of doing this could be to ask somebody to be a prayer or an accountability partner for you. And I found this really, really helpful in my life as a way of ensuring that I stick on track. It's someone I can be honest with without fear of judgment, someone that I've given authority to speak into my life and to question maybe my motivations, someone I know who has my back and who I can trust to tell me the truth, even if I don't want to hear it, and someone who will pray with me into all of these things and lift me up, and even and especially on the days where I feel weakest. If you don't have someone like this, can I really encourage you maybe to pray and to ask God who he might have you um, ask and partner with. Probably someone in your life group is a really good place to start. So as I just come into close, perhaps the band can can come back up. Um, So as we follow these six steps, we will find our characters will begin to reflect Jesus more and more. We will find that we feel more confident in him and better able to deal with our insecurities, our fears, our worries, And that as we start to live less um, out of this place of striving and more out of this place of love and honor.